For those of you that have listened to the podcast, you know how big of a fan we are at Build-A-Trend and that we have used this software for the last four years. And many of the guests that we've brought on the podcast are also Build-A-Trend users. And in this day and age, with as busy as all of us are in construction, as complicated as it is with escalation pricing, lead times, tracking, organization, all of us need a good project management software to help simplify and organize our business. And there are a couple features that we love a ton about Build-A-Trend. And one is the owner portal. The other is the daily logs. And these are features that we use daily, right? Half of my clients are out of state. And as an owner, it is so imperative how we communicate with our clients, with our team, with our customers. And through Build-A-Trend, this allows us that quick connection. They can check at any time. We can communicate with them. We're up to date. This has actually helped us win jobs, win projects because of that organization, especially at pre-construction. And Build-A-Trend also offers a ton of service on the back end, training and understanding and workshops, you know, to help us use our software effectively. They also have the podcast, The Building Code. To learn more, head to buildertrend.com backslash AFT to get a 60-day money-back guarantee on your Build-A-Trend account. We are just a few months away from the Contractors Coalition Summit here in Scottsdale, Arizona. It'll begin on Sunday, May 7th and complete on Wednesday, May 10th. We had two events that were completely sold out last year, the first one in Nashville, second one in Huntington Beach with Nick Schiffer from NS Builders and Morgan Molitor from Construction of Style. Again, make sure that you get out to Scottsdale. It's going to be an amazing event. We only have a few seats left, and we're going to be speaking about all things pricing, project management, how to make money inside and outside of your business, you know, contracts, client expectations, building that organization. And again, just the marketing aspect, social media. One of the most amazing values of this conference is not only the content that's produced and a lot of the information that's handed out to those that attend, but also the networking, being there with 30 like-minded builders around the country, being able to have a, someone to contact and reach out to on any questions you have moving forward. It is an amazing event. Hurry and sign up. Again, www.contractorscoalitionsummit.com. We'll see you in May. I think it was finding the right people. They're amazing. We just couldn't do what we do without the people in place right now. And we're, we're a small but mighty team. That's what um, I was going to say. Small but small mighty. But mighty. <laughs> So welcome to the podcast today. We got Danielle and Michael Gutelli on with us from Clark and Aldine. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having Thanks, us, Brad. Brad. We appreciate it. Super excited. I know we've built a pretty good friendship. We've been, seems like we've spent quite a bit of time together considering you're in Michigan and we're in Arizona. So yeah. you know, that long distance relationship has been working pretty good. You keep hosting these events in uh, beautiful, sunny places when we're <laughs> dealing with snow and rain and, you know, keep, keep that, keep that uh, timeline up. Well, it's funny. We're part of a build of 20, you know, and they're all super excited because most of them are in cold climates and they're coming out to Scottsdale. We have a, let's think mid seventies. It's like 45 at night. So a little cool at night, but it's like perfect, nice and warm during the day. So try to um, tempt you to get down to Scottsdale. Hurry up. I like that you say it's nice and cold. It was 45 this weekend (laughs) and um, our neighbor was shoveling snow in shorts. Yep. Well, you 40, kind of build up to like it. 70, you know? <laughs> yeah. 45, everyone has like snow coats on for us. Like that's just not even, we're not, we're not built that way. We're not used to that Michigan weather, but, um, so we're excited to have you guys on. So you're both, you know, co-founders, co-owners. And, um, I, I guess the quick background, I think a lot of our listeners probably have listened to Monocraftsman. I know you both were on there, which is kind of cool. The background of your name where, where the streets intersect, right? If I'm not mistaken, where you both grew up, is that right? That's correct. Well, it's not, no, where, not we where we grew, grew up. up. It's where we met. But go ahead. Or where you met. So, That's what I meant. Where you met. Yeah. 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 So 
Um, when Michael and I met, we lived in Chicago at the time, and Michael lived on Clark Street, and I lived on Eldine Street. But what's cool about those two streets is that they don't technically intersect because Eldine is a very short street, and it turns into school when it hits Clark Street. And so that's where our paths intersect. And when we were creating a name, we wanted it to be something and something that meant everything to us, but like to the outside world, it was just a name. <laughs> Here we are. It's kind of funny because, yeah, it's like Danielle, Michael, I mean, in your last name, it's nothing close to Clark and Aldine. So it's kind of fun to hear the background to it. Well, and what's actually very funny is obviously you're good friends with Morgan from Construction of Style. And so whenever she introduces us, she's like, oh, this is Clark and Aldine. And I was like, or Danielle and Michael. And she's like, <laughs> we've actually put a lot, it, of, uh, a lot of time and resources behind. Um, you know, how our copy's written and the website redesign and some of our content, like really educating uh, the audience that our names are not Clark because for the, for the first couple of years, we would constantly get blasted with emails that would say, hello, Clark, or hello, Aldine. <laughs> and it's, you know, had to put a lot behind and make sure that people got it. But. It, it. The funny thing is you could be like a Clark Griswold. I mean, it kind of works, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you have Aldine, so... And Aldine could be yeah. a feminine name, so that's where he could be a little tricky, you know, to those yeah, who may yeah. not know. So when I when I say that, Morgan's always like, oh, I forget that people probably do think that's your name. So let me ask you this, because I know you're friends with Morgan, right? That's kind of why you came to the first summit. And you've been, I, I know the first time we met, and I know I'm sidetracking here, but you both have had a ton of success, like working with vendors and, you know, building a following. And, you know, we'll get back to your story in just a minute on why you kind of departed into the construction world. But um, how did that relationship start with Morgan, you know, being that you had a lot of experience in the blogging world and, you know, SEO and all that information? So, um, Morgan and I met on Instagram, which is where I feel like we Big connected shocker. with lots of amazing people. Um, and we actually connected in real life at a blogger conference years ago. Um, it was the first conference that Michael came to with me yep. and, um, just kind of hit it off from there. And her and I have stayed in touch ever since then, done like mastermind groups and just different things within um, the industry and continue to blog because that is brings in a lot of income for, for us just through the blog and through partnerships that we're doing with different brands and things like that. And so it's been like this nice backbone of to have somebody else who does the exact same thing, runs a full company and still does partnerships with brands of like, how do you marry those two together and make that work? So what's the value proposition? And without getting into specifics, but when you're going to a brand and working with them and collaborating, it's one thing to say, hey, look, I have, you know, followers on social media or, you know, podcasts or, or whatever, but you offer something different. So does Morgan. I know that, you know, she gets so many hits on her website and on her blogs. Speak to maybe the value of just the blogging and how that plays you know, just a role in your relationships with your vendor partners? I think that's a really good question. And, you know, we've talked about this quite a bit at the past two contractor coalition summits is we as builders or owners of a design build or construction firm, we actually use these products day, day in and day out. So when we, when we are presenting and doing selections with our clients, our clients are used to seeing specific brands and products in our work and if we don't deliver those to the table, it's, they kind of question it like, hey, you know, you've you used XYZ faucet or this particular millwork product. Like, why are you not using it on ours? Um, and that's come that questions come up a couple of times. But the reality is 
our audience predominantly, you know, similar to yours, not only come to us for inspiration, but we have the ability to market brands and products in a way that, you know, no one else can. There's something to be said about the DIYers in the world and they do, they do great things. Uh, but we as professionals, when we're featuring a brand and product, we're also sell we're not only selling that into on our client projects, we're potentially educating, influencing, and selling that into other builders and designers for their client projects. And so the beauty is that by using the blog as a platform, it's just giving it a space to live on um, versus on social that's really has a small lifespan versus your website has an evergreen lifespan where people can continue to come back to it yep. and get information there. And so for us keeping anything educational that we're putting out on the blog, we're, we're using that as an educational tool for as like free resources for anybody that follows us or finds us via Pinterest or Google, um, but also for existing clients that we can send them there when they're looking to start to work with us or learning our process and they can see how we've, we've guided them through our process and, expertise on different things. I, I like that you brought up, Danielle, you mentioned that there's a small lifespan of social media. And what's interesting about that is that on anything any of us post, right, the lifespan is very short. And if it doesn't do well, it's probably five minutes, right? Dead. I mean, it could be extremely <laughs> short. Yeah, it's dead, for lack of a better word. Whereas the evergreen stuff, because even if you have something go super viral, it may go super viral and do really well, but it's still maybe a week, maybe two weeks. And again, it's not really like a searchable, I mean, to some extent it can be, but for the most parts not, you know, so how does that play a role as you're looking at blogging specifically? Um, there's time, right? There's time associated to come up with content. Are you catering your topics specifically to maybe the direction that the company's been building to specific products, as you mentioned, you know, how do you kind of come up with the content ideas? It's based around the projects that we currently have. So for a long time, we were we were very, very beginning of just blogging. It was like whatever Michael and I were doing on our own home, we would blog about that. And then we got really specific um, in 2020 when we did our kitchen and we blogged about everything and anything that we could possibly do within our kitchen. And that has become like one of our best evergreen content out there two years later, it's still one of our highest um, trafficked yeah. items just because we talk about like where to place recessed lighting and how to do an island and just giving those type of uh, resources to people that are maybe DIYing it themselves or are working with a builder, but they want to confirm that what they're doing it is correct. It's it's education. It's continuous yeah. education. What we see, you know, even with our clients, they're they're hiring us because we're experts in the space and they want us to remodel and design their home. But they they also want to come along for the ride. They want to be educated as to why a decision is made, why something is being placed where it's being placed. Um, and the, you know, the more content that we can create that lives out in the space, um, we can we can then share that with our clients if we if we don't have the time to walk them through everything. It's just it's good content to have out there and just continue to Well, like a perfect example right now is we are working on a project that we are doing um, custom doors and millwork with that job. And we're using Aspen for our baseboards and our door casings, but then we're not using Aspen doors because of budgetary reasons. And so we're now, the, the whole blog post is gonna be about 
what other wood grain goes with aspen wood and that's like gonna drive that this next set of content that i have coming and the more you know the other thing is when we search when we research that was one of those topics i searched for hours trying to figure out how what what woods what woods are going to go with aspen and what stain is going to is going to reflect similarly to aspen does how is it going to marry and pair together well there's nothing out there boom creative content idea so we'll write it and then it'll be the number one searched or the, the one with the most traffic will be served up number one. it's interesting you say that because you know as i think about this though as you start looking at um just the the expert it's easy to look back now and say yes we're you know, we're experts, we understand what we're doing, you know, we're thought leaders, essentially, because there's a huge marketing strategy that to find clients, right, that you are experts in your field, you know, there's value bringing to your clients. So for that reason, they're coming to speak with you. This is why they're hiring Clark and Aldean. Mm -hmm. When you started your blog, do you have any anticipation that you would be a thought leader? Was there any strategy to that? Or is it just one of those things you kind of organically figure out? I mean, Danielle wanted to start the blog just to have a creative space on the internet, like that, that's why it started. And then it organically became this space that we were featuring our home and local um, local individuals, local families reached out to us and was like, hey, can you create this mudroom in my home or can you remodel my bathroom? And the light bulb went off. It's like, well, while we're mid thirties, we have two kids. If we're ever gonna roll the dice, now's the time. And fast forward a year later, I got my builder's license in Michigan and here we are. So no, I don't think we ever <laughs> anticipated no. that happening. I think but. we always knew we wanted to do something together and we, we trial and aired a lot of different things that we were interested in. And this is the one that stuck and I'm glad it did. Did you, I think Brad, we lost your audio, hold on. How about now? There we go. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're good. Um, so let me ask you this. So going back to earlier in the conversation, Danielle, you mentioned that, you know, when you're not using certain products, clients may ask you and say, okay, Danielle, um, why aren't we using this product? How has that played a role? Is there any ever pushback that clients may have because there's certain brands that, again, I know there's some authenticity because first and foremost, you know, Michael mentioned that there's authenticity. These are products you're using. You have a relationship with them. You believe in them. They're, they're consistent, consistent with your brand. Do you ever get pushback from clients using some of those products, you know, in their homes? Um, we haven't had like a client per se say like, uh, this is not, a, this is not a product I want to mm -hmm. use. And we've been like scoped to use it for, um, a vendor, like, uh, what am I looking for? Like we've been scoped to use it for a sponsored post or something to that extent. I never ever sell in sponsored things before. <laughs> I go through clients with, yeah. I've had clients say like not aesthetically liking, um, like some flooring that, that we could potentially yeah. do a sponsorship with and that them not liking it. And that's fine. Then we just like save that for another yeah. project that we're right. going to use. Um, but it's never like CNA is forcing a client into like, you need to like this. It's always like we're specking it, knowing it's going to work with the aesthetic that, we're, that we have. And one of the things to our benefit right now that's come through the pandemic is we know there's a lot of quality control and quality assurance issues throughout every industry on the planet right now. So we we try to work with brands and leverage our brand relationships to ensure even if there is an issue, we have someone that we can go to direct to help us solve for it. So if a fixture comes damaged or with missing components, 
we have a phone number or an email of someone who is going to respond directly to us quickly and we can efficiently get the get the issue fixed so that that's another big benefit in how we've been able to you know grow and maintain our relationships because it goes the other way too we've had brand partners reach out where they're like oh my god we're launching a new product in six weeks we need retail um <laughs> we don't have any assets <laughs> we need we need some professional assets not just the 3d renderings or, or cad drawings can you guys help us out we'll, we'll overnight it to you pay you whatever you want like can you do it and we usually say yes we'll make it happen so that's <laughs> the thing that people need to understand is it's you i think and i think tyler on uh modern craftsman mentioned this when we were talking it's like it's all about over delivering on on your on your on your deal or on your relationships you don't just want to check the box of okay i agreed to do these five things i want to agree to do those five things and then deliver you another five because down the road there's going to be something that i'm going to need you're going to need something from me and we both know that we can depend on each other and that i think that's really important and through every relationship you have in life well it's like you're constantly building a relationship that's what you're doing with anybody well, you that you have interaction with. Right, and you can't discount the relationship side. How's that played a role? I mean, you mentioned supply chain, how that can be an issue. How has that relationship you built with your vendors through the collaboration, through the blogging, through um, you know, working with clients, how has that helped you maybe with access to product or deliveries or inventory, right? It, things that we're all dealing with. It is amazing, especially yeah. when you're using their product and you can't get it elsewhere. Calling them direct is like, we're, we're able to get things significantly faster um, when we've built a relationship with somebody. Yeah, there's just been scenarios where there was a, not. you know, what was delivered, there was a shortage or what was delivered was damaged. It's happened a lot on mill work and we're able to pick up the phone and say, hey, we ordered this through, you know, XYZ supplier. They don't have any more, which happens all the time. And just got to say some of it's damaged. We need, we need to get this done and wrap by end of week so we can get this job moving. Is there any chance you can, you can send us some additional products so we can wrap this up and we'll, will obviously, you know, give you assets to, to use for that. And it's never been a problem. And what about, you know, now it's changing with AI, right? That you could essentially yep. go on to AI and say, hey, let's write this blog and bam, kicks out 3,000 words. Have you looked at using AI? I mean, especially to be more efficient now with as busy as both so, of you. So that's funny, funny that you asked that. I tested that last week, only on Pinterest because I wanted to like start somewhere small. Um, and kind of see how it would put out my captions over there. I was actually pretty impressed. There were a couple times where I had to do some editing um, or they referred to like Clark and Aldine as a person versus a brand. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that happened actually quite a few times. I didn't tell you. And as we talked about, was, right. To, to begin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was um, telling Michael, I'm like, maybe I'll like test the waters on this with Instagram and see how it does. But I haven't done it on a blog post yet. Um, I don't know. Maybe you're giving me <laughs> some it's, ideas. There's part of me that like does thoroughly like when it comes to blogging, I like that aspect because it gives me a chance to just like get all my words out versus writing an Instagram caption. If I'm just doing a small caption that to me sometimes feels more like laborsome versus when I'm actually blogging about something that I'm, a, I'm passionate about and I write very much like I talk. And so it's like a novel that you're getting. Um, I don't know. I, I enjoy that fortune. <laughs> it's funny, you know, my background, which I'm sure we'll get to that in a minute. My background before this, I was in advertising for 12 years and I was 
maybe seven, eight years ago, writing white papers and doing presentations on, on AI and blockchain and crypto. And I was skeptical of AI because there's a lot of ways you can look at it, like Daniel's saying for the blog post, like kicking out content or drafting an email or um, a list of pr process and procedures. Like it's great for that. And then you can fine tune. The other side of me is like, wait a minute, the more that AI infiltrates um, the day to day, that is less opportunity for for humans to have a job and be creative and and you know make a living. So there's there's two different sides of it. But I will say I'm excited for us uh, internally as we we're starting to test it from a content perspective. And there's also kind of a strategy and process we're working on for um, email responses, which will help our team set up correctly. Kind of helps our team draft the responses based on who it's from, what it's about. And instead of spending, you know, 15, 20 minutes on a detailed email response to a client or a partner, the heavy, you know, 75% or more of that heavy lifting is done. And then it's just go, you know, them going in and then tweaking and adding a little bit of personality to it and then sending the email off. So it's like nothing ever gets sent. It always goes in drafts. But again, thinking of a time saver that will allow them to, to free up time to do more creative things, to more strategy, more and just too. be a little bit more efficient. Well, the we'll reason I asked back that to you. <laughs> yeah, well, well, here's what I asked. So we, you know, we're we're going to start making more of an effort on our blogs, right? We did it before, and here's the value, right? As you mentioned, I mean, one thing is just not not only the advertising and products and relationships you built there, Danielle, Michael, the amazing job with your brain, but we've done some in the past, like we did ICF construction, so we wrote about ICF, and then people would search that, and they'd come up, and they'd follow find us, right? Um, but what's interesting is, you know, I was actually talking to Morgan about. Uh, KBiz. So we were just at KBiz, IBiz with you guys in Vegas. Yep. And um, I brought my whole team. And so I'm like, how do I make this productive? Yeah, it's team building. We're going to have a lot of fun. So I said, all of you have an assignment. You have to write two blogs a day, right? So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, either new new products or trends or whatever, you know, that we can use for content. And so I had showed them the AI stuff like the week before the production meeting. And <laughs> A couple of my team members wrote blogs and I could tell, I mean, they did go through and proofread them, but I mean, they probably spent five minutes total because, you know, they powered through these, they sent them and I'm like, I know you used AI because I could just tell. You <laughs> like this. That's funny. So I said, I'm not close to it, I guess. Yeah, they're actually really yeah. good. I'm like, so one of them did uh, a blog post about saunas, right? The value of like putting in a sauna and it was totally AI because I'm like, I know him, he would never ever speak like this but he actually edited it so it's really good i mean it could be presentable so it's just interesting how how far it's come that as you mentioned michael and danielle like looking at okay how can we use this for emails and response it's interesting to think about how can we incorporate this without affecting too much of the brand or identity or 100 you know, design aspect yep agree agree entirely and i think you know there's a, there's a balance to it and figuring out what that is and that's why testing it on things like blog posts and Pinterest content that it makes more sense there to see and, and gain some learnings and insights on how it actually works, um, how it, how what it generates is reflective of what what we speak, what we talk about, what we built with our brand, uh, and how much heavy lifting needs to be done after the fact once it's drafted to really, um, you know, kind of build in some of the essence and core of the brand that that technology just can. But I Do think too, like, if, had... go, go ahead. ahead. No, I just no, think ahead, if for, for us as thought leaders in the space, I think there's there's an abundance of people, not only, you know, outside of the construction and design world that 
could find value from our testing and, and trial and error of this to see, you know, what truly are the benefits? Because I think the, the intel that individuals like us can gather over the next three to six months and share out is, is an incredible asset that people can, can learn from and use and leverage in their, in their day to day. Do you feel you have an advantage? Because you mentioned early on before getting into construction, which we'll, we'll talk about that, but you mentioned you had an advertising background. How has that played a role? I mean, you know, Danielle mentioned, you know, she would attend blogging conferences, so she had a good pulse on blogging. So you both, you come into construction. Do you feel like it gave you an advantage just on what you've created now? Because you're both super creative. I will be the first to admit that I have done zero of our <laughs> marketing, advertising, or really strategy since we started, since what? we started the, the company. Yeah. Yeah. Because well, I, I think, Danielle, honest, honestly, Brad, yeah. <laughs> She's amazing. She could have gone into this in, in her instead of uh, education, but no, she's brilliant and she deserves all the credit for for building the brand and, and and where we've come from. But honestly, Brad, I think I was so burnt out on the industry that it was the last thing I wanted to do and just gave my all to to you know being a GC. And now that I've taken a step back from you know day to day you know working as GC on site and really focusing on on uh, business development and operations, that I'm starting to get interested in and engaged with it again yeah that's always my question to him i'm like so you have all this knowledge base you care to share it over here yeah maybe we can come up with some strategies i mean instead I did, of my strategies are like okay well here's what i'm thinking this week i did lead our we did a whole website overhaul last year because the site we had previously we i built it you know, daniel obviously created created all, all the content wrote a lot of it but this one i wrote all the copy for it for the entire site led um the development of it with a local website agency that we we tapped for it um so that was a that was a good process and a fun process to be to be involved in because there there were a lot of decisions that were made based on um you know human interaction on mobile versus tablet versus versus desktop and i think that brought in some of that strategic uh, background that I have to actually think of those things well and, and all sure of our branding and correctly. all of that aspect goes to you thank you you do all of that versus i wouldn't I don't see it the same way you see it. Yeah. So why, why burnout? I mean, essentially, if I ask that, what, what caused the burnout just in that, you know, career path? Um, honestly, I think it was my last role for the past, for the last year and a half that I spent in the advertising world, I was the head of global content strategy um, on the Chevrolet business here in Detroit. So I worked agency side, not brand side. And because it was a global role, I mean, I was on call 24 seven. Um, and it, between meetings and emails, presentations, you know, I'm putting together and, and you know, presenting uh, pitch decks to the CMOs, um, to uh, global leaders in, in specific countries, to suppliers and agency partners. It was just nonstop. And every day, there was never a day where at the end of the day, I left or came home fulfilled or with my, you know, kind of core task list completed. It was just meetings from, you know, sometimes 4 or 5 a.m. our time until, you know, 11, 12 at night because, again, with the, with the you know, time change. Well, and I felt like that role also had a lot of lack of humanization to it, it where you were just a, another number to them versus having that aspect, which is something that's so important to us as we continue to build our culture and what we hire and who we are as a brand is that people matter. Yeah. 
and, and I still have a lot like, of good friends. Truly, that... truly care about you as a human being. Yeah, I have uh, a lot of good friends and great relationships I built in the industry. You know, not going to knock it at all. I loved it for a long time. Um, I'm happy I saw it through and didn't just like throw my arms up one day and be like, I'm out. But it was very strategic how we how we planned it. Um, you know, when I gave notice and how much time I gave them to backfill. So it was, you know, left amicably and then immediately dove into what we were building and here we are. Here we are. Well, that's a big change. I mean, okay, I understand. Huge change. Yeah, I understand that it wasn't personal, right? You're kind of on the island. You're working weird hours. Yep. I mean, it's just exhausting, right? You have Danielle who's in education. Um, and you're both like super personable. I mean, anyone's going to tell just listen to this episode. You're around you five minutes. You have these really engaging personalities. Why construction? I mean, that's a big deviation from here you are, you know, yeah. in advertising, you know, yeah. working there to what you're doing now in construction. This is my first rodeo in construction, Brad. So when I was 14, I started, and I, this sounds crazy, when I was 14, I started as a laborer for a custom home builder in St. Louis, which is where I, I was born and raised. Um, so after school, you know, in high school, after school, five days a week, and then on the weekends, um, just cleaning up job sites, throwing away trash, organizing wood, um, getting the guys beers at the end of the day, you know, out of the cooler and things like that. When they, when they still did that, uh, can't do that anymore. Oh, she'll come down on you for that. Um, but no, and I, I learned a lot. And by the time I graduated high school, my high school actually had a, uh, had a trades program, which is another, you know, big goal of mine is to, is to help, uh, kind of give back and get more into that space, um, to teach kids about the trades and the benefits of being in trades, but that's a discussion for another day. Um, you know, I had a good trades program. So I went to school half day and I worked half day. Um, not only got school credit, but I was on payroll with the company. And when I graduated high school, I was making a lot of money. I really enjoyed it. I was running the drywall crew at the time. And then I kept, you know, stepping up and stepping up. It wasn't until about six months before my 21st birthday where um, a new development that was planned kind of seized up a bit. And I had saved up a lot of money and I knew I wanted to go to, to go to college at some point in time. And that would kind of hit the point where I was, I was ready. Um, and I was always, always involved in some form of graphic design, art, whatnot. And I went, decided to go to school in, in Chicago at Columbia for graphic design, which I eventually changed my major to marketing comms. But I always had, even when I lived in Chicago and worked a lot of side jobs. I was always working either in construction or doing installations on uh, on new homes, art installations, cabinet installations, things like that. Well, and I think like ultimately for us, when we decided that we, we were gonna build something together, Michael has always been one of those people where he was never meant to work for somebody else. <laughs> he um, just does better being his own boss. And so he, um, had always said, this is what I'm, I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to work for myself. And we kind of toyed back and forth with a lot of different things before we landed on construction. So we did like family photography. We did food <laughs> photography. We ran social media. Michael built websites. So we really did test the water in a bunch of these. And on all of them, he would be like, I'm leaving my job for this. And then it wouldn't ever pan out. And neither one of us were fully fulfilled. And then it was when we started blogging more about the house that he realized like this is really filling filling my bucket yep. over and over again and i felt like design was providing that creative outlet while still giving me that access to educating people on how to love their home so while i was still doing what i love by teaching it was just in a different facet 
This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers. Because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. They're, their company culture, their integrity, their honesty you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. Well, it's interesting. That's how because, we got here. <laughs> yeah, but here you are. Now you're like conquering the world. I mean, honestly, you guys have done an amazing job. Incredible growth. Thank you. I know last when we were in uh, Newport, you had mentioned that, hey, we have now this signature remodel, big job. We understand how to price it. We know, you know, how does the company differ today? You know, it's one thing to have the expertise that you had and like background, Michael, but, you know, to get in into now you're building a construction company. That's a totally different mindset, right? And, and you know, the skill set, as you mentioned, becoming thought leaders as you are. How does the company look today, especially with the projects you're pursuing to what it looked like, you know, when you both started? I think once D and I pulled away from kind of the day to day and really let our team run with it, you know, Leslie on the design side and, and on our, on our construction side of the team, letting them kind of run the day to day with our oversight that allowed and freed up the time for both Danielle and myself to really take a good look at the business how we are um, how we are costing out jobs, where are we profitable and getting all of our fin financials up to date in, in you know QuickBooks and looking at a job to job, not only job to job but area to area. Like, are we are we making money on the construction side or or is the profit from the design side, you know, covering uh, the basis for everything that we're losing? Um, what size jobs are appropriate for us? Is there a size job that's good or bad? So it, it, it really is once we got to the point where we had a solid team in place that really knew the brand and were willing to run with it without our direct involvement every second of every day, that's when we were able to put in the time um, to really, you know, let this brand take off. So what is the team makeup? I mean, as you mentioned that once you had the team, I mean, it takes time to build the team. So you have a team. And now you're figuring out, okay, what's our wheelhouse, right? What's our ideal client? What's our ideal project, our ideal scope? That's where companies are successful, which is what you're doing to really understand who you're marketing to and then right. building the company. You know, that step alone, you know, what gave you, I should say, I mean, not the sophistication, but the understanding to say, now we can step back and really dial in on, you know, who we're targeting. I think it was finding the right people. You know, we've, we've, gone through a couple people um, that have been on the team and are no longer with us over the past few years. Um, and the ones who are with us now, like they're, 
they're amazing. We just couldn't do what we do without the people in place right now. And we're, we're a small but mighty team. That's what um, I was going to say. Small but small mighty. But mighty. <laughs> and we'll, we'll continue to grow. The, the other thing that's, that's wild is there's only one person on our team, and she, she just joined us, and she just graduated interior design school, so she's on the design side. There's not anyone else on our team right now that comes from, from the construction side. Uh, Katie, our, our lead PM, she comes from landscape design and landscape architecture. She was a PM for a couple landscaping companies, so she gets it and had a lot of experience working with, uh, working with contractors, working with homeowners. She understand, understood how the business operated. Uh, she just had to take that knowledge of, of outside and bring it inside. Uh, but everyone else who's, who's been with us and is here, they don't, they don't have a, a background in construction or design, but they have a deep passion for it. And I think that that's why we have been able to find success in this space is, you know, while I have some background in, in construction, I'm licensed to do so. That is not where, where I really launched my career. I made this decision because it was, it, it was, it was passion that drove it. And the same with Danielle and then everyone else. I think that's filtered down. Well, it's interesting to that point. I mean, you can't teach passion. You can't teach company culture. And so if you can find those things, essentially you can instruct and teach, right? Design, construction. Uh, Did it take more time bringing people that maybe weren't as, for lack of a better word, they didn't have a background in construction? So the training aspect, you know, walk through maybe that process to make sure that they're on board and they have the proper tools and the proper organization to really go out and be effective. Well, I mean, from the design aspect of it, it has been, the beauty has been that it always, they always came in on a lower level and then it was like the working up to where you're at currently. And so that was a lot of testing the waters of, did you have, do you have the ability to do this? And do you actually see what works and doesn't work? Um, I always say a lot with design is that you can, you can teach design, you can teach the elements of design and things like that, but you can't teach people how to pull a room together and actually see what works and doesn't work. It's either, it's like an innate, innate thing. Like you either know how to do that or you, or you don't. Um, and so for us, it has just, it's worked out really beautifully. Uh, Leslie, our lead designer started with us um, in, oh gosh, several years ago. And she was a studio assistant and she kind of like, really busted her ass over there and little by little um I, we were getting so overwhelmed and i was like can you do a little bit of this can you do a little bit of that and the next thing i knew <laughs> she was like handling so many aspects of the design that i was like hey maybe we'll like move you in a little bit of this role it's just kind of worked out that way as far as construction goes for the construction side brand i mean People, people that we brought on to the team, especially early on, like I think everybody, everybody that we brought on knew a little bit about something, um, had a lot, had a, a kind of, I want to say like a, like a pseudo Swiss army knife, I guess, enough knowledge in different spaces that it just took some, some time, effort and some failure to truly understand um, what our product is and what our expectation is and how to do things. But what's really excelled us in the, I'd say in the past, you know, six to eight months is us making the decision to no longer self-perform all of our work. Because I thought for the longest time, you know, we're a remodeling company. I'm a GC. Like I have, I have to do all the work. And it really wasn't until we went to Nashville at the coalition summit and I sat around and listened to everybody. A lot of the builders there and even the remodelers there, they didn't, 
and then self-perform a lot of work. And Michael I'm looking came at, home and he was like, Brad doesn't. Yeah, I'm looking up at somebody like you and, and Nick Shepard and S. Like seriously, like you've got like these guys are doing amazing things. They don't self-perform. And it, it, I I had to get out of my own head to say I don't have to be the one that's on site every single day putting up base, uh, laying floor, you know, knocking down walls, whatever it is. I need to put a team together. I need to be able to help manage the the process to get to an end product. That's where my value is. My value, if I if I am on site all day, every day, then there, I'm dropping the ball on a lot of other things. Because when I get home, I got to reprioritize. When I get home, it's all about Daniel and the kids. You know what I mean? So, and I know you've talked a lot about that, like the the imaginary balance that you have between work and and, and family life. It's all it's all life, and you just have to balance life. Um, so when I, when I finally got out of my head and understood like, yes, we can do this without having, you know, all this construction overhead and really bringing on solid partners across the board to help us build these beautiful spaces. That's when we were able to thrive. That's interesting. And that was only last May. So here we are now. Yeah. What does that transformation look like? You go from self-performing, essentially wearing all the tool belts everything, on, everything yep. to now, you know, that's a quick. You know, transition. Well, it was really you, sticky. Yeah, it was, it was <laughs> sticky, and we had there were a lot. It of... It was really messy. I'm not gonna yeah. lie about that. There was it no was easy like, rollout. No we're easy still rollout. like maneuvering through that phase, but I feel like we could see that we're like nearing that. I mean, we're not self-performing, so obviously we're there, but it wasn't a like beautiful. I wouldn't recommend maybe going that fast. Yeah. <laughs> But I think, I think, Brad, we, we really didn't have a choice because, you know, I've t we've talked about this too in person coming out of Nashville through the end of, end of the year. Nashville was in May, correct? May 2022. Yeah. Yeah. So from yeah. May 2022 till, you know, December 31st, 2022, we tripled our business. Like it just, it, and it seems like it just, it just happened. But we had no choice but to just start rolling with it we had to and figure it out as we're going. And it, it was, it was sticky. It was messy. There, there were, you know, some issues. There were some disagreements. Uh, there was business. It's just, that's life and that's business. But um, while I, while Daniel says I wouldn't recommend it, like, I don't know if there is a right time and a right cadence and strategy to just fully pull away because you're, you're never going to be done with just this project to start another one. I mean, we're stacking, you know, four or five, six different projects at the same time in different phases, there is no easy endpoint where we can say, okay, we're going to stop here. We're snapping the chalk line with the new process on this one. So, but I think that also opened, opened the eyes to the team uh, to not only how difficult it is to, to run and operate this business, but how essential these decisions that were made were uh, to only, only benefit all of us in the end and also benefit our clients. Like we're, we're delivering a, a better product quicker, more efficiently. Uh, and while there's always going to be bumps in the road, it's construction and, and it's just, it's business in general. I think what we're doing now is, is much more seamless. Well, it's interesting. In fairness, you know, I know there's bumps in the road, but here's the reality. I mean, we have been doing this for a while ourselves and it's not perfect for us. I mean, it is a very complicated business. You're dealing with um, creative side, right? That we have, we have uh, I, I don't want to say the reality side, but there's a creative side and then there's practical side and then there's the risk. And then you have all the different elements that go into this. And then you're dealing with labor, right? That's, that's limited. Yeah. It's exhausted for lack of a better word, these last few years that are overworked, yeah. you know, from our subcontractor base. What, what's really hard is any recommendations you have, you, you essentially said with the hiring process, you found people that 
either had a little bit of experience like your landscape designer, but maybe uh, zero, but you're looking for the right people. When it comes to the trades and hiring though, you have to have, for lack of a better word, at least someone that has some skill set, right? That's doing your trim, that's yeah. doing your cabinetry and countertops. How has that been, that transformation stepping back to now finding the right people that are available that have the same eye for detail that you had as if you had your backs on? You know, that's hard when you kind of step away and you're not doing it now. No, that in that letting go of that is hard. And I think uh, that that's been a pain point for us. On when I said it was like sticky and messy, that that's kind of what I'm referring to in the sense that maybe we a couple times got some subs that weren't so great, and so then we're like having them back again yep. and having them back again, and 15 times later they're back until they meet our standards. But it's like holding that accountability and setting those standards of our, and our expectations. I'm yeah. sorry. I just kind of like jumped in. Over no, it it's, it's cool. And I think that's, that's the thing is what we didn't do a good enough job of early on as we were making this transition from self-performing to, to not is level setting and setting those clear expectations. Uh, we have amazing partners across the board. Our subs are top notch. It's done a couple things for us. It's allowed us to, I mean, we have to be empathetic towards them as well. They have families, they have businesses, they're overworked. So there, there's that part. It also, we also have to understand and we have to educate our clients that these line items for the, for these trades, they're not, they're not the lowest line items. They're going to be big, but they're big for a reason. They're quality, they're, they're reliable, and they can charge for that because Sometimes, you know, you have, you have to, you know, bid it out. Going with the lowest bid is never, never necessarily the best idea because you're going to pay for it two or three times over. There's always going to be mistakes. And I, I cannot stress that enough that just building a relationship with your, with, your, with your trades from day one and setting those clear expectations and make sure you're both on the same page, that is going to benefit everyone involved exponentially. Well, and I think that goes back to what we were saying earlier is like that you're building these relationships. And so as we were starting early on earlier last year <laughs> um, of figuring out who these trades were, once we started to build the relationships with the trades that we were like, gosh, this person's literally meeting every expectation that we have for them, then communicating with them and saying, hey, do you have anybody for this? Or do you know anybody that does this? And like those relationships built other relationships, built other relationships. And so now we have a plethora of people that we believe meet our standards, not we believe, they do meet yeah. our standards. Um, and we've gained all these people from relationships that we've made with our subcontractors. Yeah, I just had a, a text from our demo guy come through the other day and he's like, hey, um, this other, this other uh, remodeler and builder talked to me at trades day and wanted me to, wanted me to quote out, come and see a job for him and quote it out. Is there anything you want me to say or not say? I'm like, no man work. Like that's great. I want, I want everybody to collaborate and get together. And that's the whole thing is we don't view anybody out there as competition. Like no. there is, there is more than enough work for everybody who, who's good at what they do, passionate about what they do and, and want, and want to do well. Um, it's the camaraderie, it's the relationship building, um, you know, that, that's building, important to building us. Building a business and a brand together. Yeah, that really that really gets us geeked up is, is seeing seeing these guys really get along. You're building relationships and they know each other. But also, Brad, I think, you know, you've talked about this too, some of the non-negotiables that you have with, with some of your trade partners on your projects. And I think we've learned a lot from that. One of the things for us is site cleanliness. Nothing, nothing burns me more <laughs> and gets me more fired up is when I walk into a job site. It's not, it's not prepped every day. It's not clean at the, at the end of the day. 
you know, it's a job site. There's going to be, there's going to be some messes. There's going to be, you know, tools out, lumber out, whatnot. But I shouldn't be going into a project as the owner of the company to meet a client on a Wednesday. And there's, there's still, there's still dust and debris from Monday. Like that doesn't work. So it's been, again, further education, um, further, you know, explaining and setting our expectations and really clarifying those non-negotiables for all of our partners. Um, so they know going into it every single day, this is what we expect. It's going to take you more time than charge more. Put it in your bid. But this, this is what we expect. I do not have a cleaning crew. I do not run a cleaning company that's going to come at 5 o'clock every day and get this, get this ready for 8 a.m. tomorrow. But it, it, it's for real. Like I, some people just leave and they're like, oh, I'll get that when the job's done. Like, no. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> so it's all about setting clear expectations and defining what those non-negotiables are. Well, I love that you took the approach of setting expectations. It's interesting, especially in the remodel world. I mean, you understand, like, if you if it's not clean Friday, right, typically clients are always going to be by, right, over the weekend. Yeah. And what's really hard is not just the cleanliness, but if they're not locking doors, shutting windows, you know, leaving stuff open, yeah. which seems to be a constant thing. We have to have signage everywhere on all of our projects for yeah. Uh, cleanliness and locking up. But let me ask you this, because going back to expectations, I think most of us struggle to some extent to, there's a fine line. And what I mean by that is we all understand, you know, the triangle of anything, of any business, you have, you know, price, quality, time, right? You you can't get all three, typically two, maybe one, um, but you can't get all three of those. And so you have to kind of educate your clients that, hey, what, what's most important of those three, which two? And essentially, you're saying this, you're saying, hey, we have quality and price, you know, we're going to have the right people in there. But there's this fine line, costs have gone higher, inflation has been up, clients have budgets, right, they're maxed out. How are you balancing just that communication with clients to say, hey, we can't outprice the market, we can't outprice the project, but we still have to have quality people in here. And I know you gave this example with the product, maybe different wood species, you know, maybe there's a substitution of product, you know, still make it work. How are you managing that aspect? Because I think that's something that most of us are struggling with. Oh, it's a struggle. It's a big struggle. <laughs> but I'll, I'll give a good example. So it's the easy answer. He's like, that's our answer. answer. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll give you an example. I think our pre-construction process is very important, and that's where we can alleviate a lot of those a lot of those issues up front. So we we have a project we're getting ready to kick off. We have the design done, renderings are done. They look beautiful. We just uh, priced out this this job. Well, the estimate came in about fifty thousand higher than the, the client was comfortable with, but they still want to move forward. They just and they love the design, they love you know the color cabinetry and the glass fronts, like everything we're doing, they love. But they just challenged us to, and we were we were kind of delivered this to the table uh, simultaneously. Is can we do? Can we create a space that's similar to this without taking out this massive load bearing wall and without putting in the the dual LBL beams? without ripping up all the floors and going pre-engineered and just refinishing the original 1950 oak floors. And we're like, absolutely. And that was, that was our intent going into it. Um, so you have, I think for anyone listening that, that does something similar, maybe it's, it, it's a completely different um, industry that they're in. You cannot let the pride of your product get in the way of delivering a product that is going to give you the equal amount of pride and satisfy your client. Cause I think you hit it there is not an endless pool of cash that every client has. And we're very leery of clients to say, I have no budget. Cause that's usually we say, I have no budget. And then you go back to them and like, whoa, 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 I'm going to spend that much. Like, well, that's why, that's why we have a form you got to fill out. You got to put in your budget parameters. Um, but I think it's be the willingness to take another look at it and figure out how can you deliver a product that, that 
makes you feel good, makes you feel like you push the the creative boundaries, uh, but also a product that's within your client's budget and delivers them, you know, a space that they're going to be happy with for years to come. And I think that going back to what Michael's saying about the pre-construction phase um, with us, that's where all the pre, we have all the drawings that we're put, pulling out for our clients and we're deciding the design direction of where we're going before we get into those material selections. Um, we have the concept boards there and we have been talking a lot internally about with clients of asking them, do you want us to push the limits and show you what we can do with your, with your space or do you want us to show you what we can do to your space within your budget? Because those are two very different things. Oh, that's a good question. Let me ask you this, Danielle. Are you doing most of the design in-house for all of your projects? We do all design in-house. So collaboration between the two of you now, you and Michael, not only being married, but right. now working together, figured out, okay, yeah. the reality of budgets, design, you know, you know, how's that work? You know, just the involvement that both of you have with that. So, and I think that's what makes us, you know, different is from a, from traditional design builds is we, we're a true design build in the sense that we, we do the design in house. I know, I know of very few uh, design build companies that they, they hold into your design in house. Yeah. And you spoke, you spoke a lot about that a lot, but you understand the importance of design. It's a crucial element to a project. Um, you rarely want to want to let the owner of the home or the, or the project do all the design. Cause that's not necessarily <laughs> going to be the, the right move. Um, even though all of our clients have great taste, we know that, um, you know, it doesn't Good come say. without its own set of, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't come without its own set of, uh, of challenges working together, but we've been doing it for so long and we just, it's not for everybody. We just have, we have a great relationship, a great working relationship. We understand the boundaries. Um, we get in disagreements, obviously like any, any partnership, but we don't take it personal and it's not like it's a, it's a shouting match when we disagree. I mean, we, something may may be scoped or something needs to be pulled out whatever the example is um we do it amicably and, and professionally and i think what we've instilled in our team is like everybody has to have an open mind coming to the table especially talking about about budget well and i think that what's worked really well for us with having both design and construction and us being on the opposite end of those is just really early on learning um whose role was what and that who's an expert in what area and that we're going to respect each other in, in those areas. And so when it comes to something construction related, it goes to Michael. When it comes to something design related, it comes to me. And there's only like the middle ground every now and then. That we See, then I was, and I was going to ask that maybe that, that aspect, because there definitely is a chicken and egg thing, right? With budget, and design drawings and specifications. And you're kind of playing this balancing act where you have to have the design team and architectural team early on the design build process, you have to have budgets, but at the same time, it's really hard to anticipate all the different, especially the remote. I mean, there's so many unknowns that both of you are dealing with. You know, how often in the process are you given them maybe an overall budget and then fine tuning that? Cause there definitely is some massaging and give and take throughout that pre-construction process. Always. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we're all, that's always, uh, always, and there's a lot of initial pushback from us as a brand on what projects we're willing to take on and not take on, um, purely because we, A, have to know that it's going to meet what we have set for, um, our standards. Our, I guess our standards and like what's 
what we know, like in order to deliver a product like this, we need to have this much budget within design. And if we don't have this much budget in design, we can't deliver that for you. Um, and then construction continues to go up as everything yep. is continuing to go up. And so like that continues to be um, making just, you know, our costs for everything rise and having those like difficult conversations really early on with clients. Cause we've found the hard way if you don't do that, what that looks like too. Yeah. It can, it can get, it can get bad really quick. Um, but I think, you know, the example I just gave about the, the remodel that we proposed and, and going back and looking at it a different way. So many projects that we've had in the past year, design has taken the hit. It's like, okay, well, we're going to pull out, we're going to pull out the sofa. We're going to pull out these chairs. We'll get something more economical or the furniture budget's gone entirely. I mean, when we're doing a remodel, we're, <laughs> we're, we're doing, we're doing everything. Yeah. So, you know, from, from literally from, you know, site prep and demo to, you know, in, installing and doing placement and on rugs, furniture and, and styling and all that, it, it's all in. And I've realized that that, that doesn't fill, fill the bucket for the design team. And that's not really fair for us to just cut there instead of looking at a project in a different way. Maybe we don't need to have a fully open space plan, right? Let's, let's keep a couple walls up or let, let's just, let's, tweak the layout a little bit to, to bring down the construction cost. You know, we can, we can cut 20% costs really quick uh, by looking at it in a different way. It takes a little bit more work on the upfront and we got to tweak our timelines on other projects internally, but that's, that's the learning that we've gotten to. And we'll never, we'll never take on a project again where, you know, we go into it and we're thinking, okay, okay, we're good. And, you know, by, by the day the demo is done, we realize that we're, we're now like 15% over budget. We just have Why to, you always got to be the bear bad news, Michael? What are you doing? <laughs> he gets Those contractors. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I was I'm like, nobody's mad name. at design. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's interesting, I mean, they just hate me. that's our running joke. Nobody's mad yeah. on design. Yeah. No one's mad at design. They're mad at Michael. We, we know how the process goes. But what's interesting, as you said earlier on the process, you mentioned that there is uh, a form people are filling out. So you are pre qualifying people to an extent. Right, so yep. that whether it be budget or whether it be design aesthetic, that it does align with the brand. Um, maybe to that, you know, how how important is that? You know, just that vetting process of clients. I'm sure that's changed. You know, early on, you're going to take any yep. job, but I'm sure that's become more exactly. fine now, especially as you built a brand and reputation. Yeah, yeah and it continues to evolve um, yeah. on what we're doing on that. It has, and I mean, we've even looked at, you know, we're doing a lot of full home remodels now versus before at least full floor, like, you know, kitchen, office, we're touching all the floors, knocking walls down, so we'll do the whole first floor. Um, versus before it was like, okay, we're just doing a, a, an existing, you know, kitchen footprint, or we're doing a, a primary suite, a primary bathroom. And we've kind of gone down this road, a lot of it is, is full home or single floor, as I was saying, but when we look at our projects and, you know, where where we're, we're gaining a lot of profit, there are some smaller projects where it's, it may not be a full, you know, gut remodel of a of a of a primary bathroom, but it's a refresh. So we're we're looking at that avenue too. Is, you know, from the from the profit standpoint, not only is that a great final product for us to to shoot, uh, put on social, put on our blog, because uh, a lot of there are a lot of people out there who can do a refresh, but they can't do a full a full scope remod. Um, so we're we're trying to trying every day looking at the data, looking at the numbers, and striking a balance between 
being able to give clients that want a full home remodel exactly what they want. And there are some clients out there who they, they just need a refresh, but they want, they want the CNA touch that we have a package that we can offer to them too. Um, but our, our form changes constantly. We just updated again, and we're just looking at different parameters, different data to bring in for our, our, our prospects to, to deliver to us so we can, we can take a quick look. And we usually know at first glance if this is a project that you know, we feel comfortable taking into the next phase, which is a at-home or virtual consultation, or um, if we need more information from them before we can make that decision, whatever it is. And then the virtual consultation is a paid consultation that we do 30 minutes with clients. Um, and then that kind of is the additional way that we're vetting clients because um, Michael and I have this <laughs> saying that if we one of us doesn't feel right about a client, then we don't take on that client. About anything really. I mean, we've anytime that, that we've gotten ourselves in trouble um, or went down a path that we shouldn't have gone down, it's, it's because we didn't trust our intuition. Um, and we don't, we've every made time. a pack a long time ago and yeah. every time that we, that one of us says, and I've done it more than D has, where it's like, <laughs> no, no, let's do this. We need it. Like, I, I think it's all good. You're looking at it wrong. We end up getting burned. Um, so we've made it, we've made a pact. We've, we've stayed true to it as much as it is possible other than only the mistake that I made. <laughs> um, but if, if one of us doesn't feel right about it, then we don't, we don't engage with it. And that goes throughout life, period. Yeah, but I, I do just feel like your natural intuition really does read well. And I tell Michael all the time I can read people's energy. So I feel like I have that that special It's talent. a gift. It's a gift. <laughs> it is a gift. And so that is, um, that's something that helps with those consultations. So that we really get to, get to see a little bit more about what we're, because essentially you're getting into bed with people for yep. a long time. And getting real oh, yeah. personal yep. oh, yeah. with them because you're in their space. And as a remodel, sometimes they don't move out. So <laughs> you're really in Yeah, there. I don't know how you do that. I honestly don't. But how, when did you get to the point where you're like, where you value your time, you you understand that, hey, it's a pay consultation now. Like there is a cost I want to make sure, for lack of a better word, a client has skin in the game, right? You know, how, yep. how long do you realize that, hey, we actually need to hold our foot down on this because this is really going to yep. weed out our clients? It actually took us about a year. We yeah. went on a few consultations where, yeah, where the clients, you know, they came in, you know, hot and heavy. We want to do all this work. And then we got there and it was kind of really awkward. Um, it was more like they just wanted to talk to us as, as people and kind of like in a, in a friendly way, which that's fine. But we're not, I'm not taking time away from, from working on a client project to just come here and, and like tell you about my chit chat. You know, yeah. Yeah. And it, then it I think that it, helped because the brand did gain traction so quickly um that we were pretty much forced to set boundaries of like we don't take on night consultations we don't do weekends we have two small children uh we only schedule content consultations on these days um that was hard and that was hard for um our team to at first to grasp onto like well what if they can't do that day and i was like well then they don't really want to work with us if they can't do that day um but what i've learned from that quickly is like when we set the boundaries and we set the expectations people do fall in line especially if they really do want to do business with you it's interesting you say that because for some reason as contractors designers architects you know we we tend to overcompensate or 
you know, oh yeah, we're available Saturday night or Sunday or, you know, whatever. But in any other profession, if I'm seeking any other professional in any profession, I have to go during their work hours. They set the terms. This is how it is, Brad. This is what it costs. Okay, done. I want it. But for some reason in construction, we just don't have, and, and really- I'll never understand a, it. Yeah, and I, I, you know, to your point, I think for anyone's under, like listening to both of you, you know, understanding how to value your time, understanding that process and understanding that, hey, I am a professional and you need to treat me as such. Well, once you get to that point, you have a lot more confidence in your brand and product. No, I definitely agree with that, that when, and I think people do, they'll respond to that as well as like when you're setting up those boundaries, it's just like anything in life though, Brad, like when you're setting up boundaries, people that you're setting up boundaries for that don't like your boundaries, it's because those, those boundaries are affecting what they want. Right. And so like there, it doesn't make it easy to do, but it, you have to be protective of of yourself because it again because since michael and i are a husband and wife team and we do all the things together um we really do have to be conscious of how both of us are doing and checking in on each other and um i think that has really made boundaries extra important yeah and i sure. like i i mean to the point brad two weeks ago i made michael take email off of his phone <laughs> i'm not yeah. kidding but like, because Michael would check it and then get all fired up about something. And I'm like, you are affecting yeah. my boundary. My boundary is like, when I get home, I have the capability that I'm no longer looking at emails because I'm at home now and you're looking at emails and then telling me it. And then I'm fired up and that's in my boundary. Yeah. And that, I think that's a fair point. Another decision I made uh, right before the first of the year I got, and you know, this, I got a private number. My, you know, this is phone number one. This is, I've had this forever. That's the main number to the company. Could, when we're done for the day, that phone's done. I plug it in in the office. I'll pick it up the next morning. My private phone, people people that, that I, I truly value, my family, my friends, they have this number. Clients don't have this number because I, I need to be able to turn it off. And I'm, I have the personality that I'm either all in or, or nothing. Like I can't, I can't, I don't really have a good break. So this is a way for me to set that boundary because I know when that phone's when that phone's away and plugged in, I'm not going to think about His it. His emails on that phone. Yeah. Well, so I think that's, that's some. It's taken a long time to get to it. Well, it, it's good. I mean, all of us, I, to some extent, we're business owners that listen to this and that work, and you know, we have to learn to turn it off. So, um, how about the Jordan game, the shoe game? I knew you were going to ask about that. <laughs> what do you want to know? What do you want to know? I think our listeners need to know the collection. They need to have a good idea of, uh, I mean, it's not just quality, it's quality too. So. Yeah. Um, I kind of say that, and you're, you're one of the only, only other guys in the business that I know has a, has a crazy shoe game. I think we both set the bar for that. I'm sure there's others, but I just, we don't, we don't see them that often. So I know, I know we both have some heat in the closet. Um, I've been collecting for a long time. I always tell the story, you know, when I went to um, Catholic school growing up, we had a uniform. We could only have dark shoes. And my, my mom, she was, she was never about buying me, you know, pennies or Jordans or pumps, like whatever, whatever in the, in the, in the, you know, late eighties or early and mid nineties that I wanted, she was not about it. Like, I'm going to get you the cheapest shoes possible. You keep them all year. Every other kid in the school had had a dope pair of shoes. Like every, every couple months I came in with something different. 
And I always said, when I get money, I'm going to, I'm going to buy shoes. And since Daniel's known me, I've always been into shoes. It's, it's one of my passions. Um, I collect, but I wear them all. So I might buy a double pair. So I have a, I have a pair of ice for later, but I wear all my shoes. Um, I crease them like they're, they're worn, but that's, that's me. And I, I think that I have such a deep passion and love for shoes. Um, you know, I, I have to wear them, but I have a pretty deep archive. I think right now I've slimmed down a bit, but probably in the 200, 250 range total shoes. <laughs> um, I was close to 400 at a point in time, but I've, 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 I've donated most of them away, uh, given them away to people. Um, I kind of stopped selling. I just, anything we have that needs to be sold, like, you know, old laptops, things like that. I don't have time for marketplace. It's, again, it's a time suck. Every it, It's just a, it's like another job. So I'd rather donate them uh, to, to people in need or just give them to friends or whatnot. But um, as far as like the like top tier pairs I have would be my two, my two off-white Jordan ones. Um, I have the Chicago's and then the UNC's, which are highly coveted. And yes, I wear those and I'll wear them out in the snow. I don't, I don't care. I get them cleaned when need be and they still look good. So. It's funny. I can relate. And the funny thing is they, they give me a hard time at work because I grew up, you know, super blue collar. I, t- I you know, I'd make a joke that I would go to Payless and get the fake shacks. I couldn't get the real shacks, you know, they weren't like a yeah. Payless. And so it's just yeah. like, you know, when you get older, you're like, you know, I want to have these shoes. It's just, there's something about it. But, um, but I love you. You know, don't just collect them, but you wear them in two fifty. That's, that's quite yep. a shoe game. And, um, but you guys, yeah, did I you mean, see the amazing. shoe stuff at KBIS? Oh, yeah. <laughs> a couple of those will be in the house soon. michael's like i, love I need those yeah yeah, yeah it, it's fun because i know as soon as we connected you know michael and i of course follow each other on instagram and he'll post some of the the ones he gets and i'll post and so we tag each other which is fun yeah well i think also it's one of those one of those things with clients it's, it's a it's a conversation piece right show up in a different pair of shoes like our clients know us. We're on social. They know me. They're they're expecting to see that it, it's an icebreaker. It's it's the daily conversation starter. Uh, and I, whether it's shoes or it, it doesn't doesn't matter what it is. But I think everybody has something about them that's unique um, that attracts people. They're super. Attra- they have a super attractor element to them. And I think that super attractor element is is quite often leveraged for for clients for work. For conversations uh and i just i tell people just lean into it as much as possible and own it i i think the the point there that you're making michael's you know and i want to have you share your social media and stuff and be sensitive to your time as we wrap up but yep. but the reality is there is value going back to your authenticity at the very beginning to just show like these are things we do your family right you talk about that you yep. talk about your interest the shoe game um golf, whatever. What's interesting is clients, you know, they, they're attracted to that because you're real, you're people, there's, they can relate to some extent, whatever that may be. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, you should have no shame in your game, as you mentioned, just in whatever you're doing, because it does attract the right people that align with your brand and they feel like they know you. And it's, if anything else, a talking piece and you bill for yep. a client and they probably buy you a pair of Jordans at the end. So it's kind of a nice uh, win-win. So not yet, but hopefully one of our clients listen to this. <laughs> Well, it's going to happen now with the new process, yeah. right? Everything we've been talking about. What in about, the so. universe, baby? <laughs> so what's upcoming and exciting? And uh, tell us where, you know, all the handles, everything where our listeners can find you. Um, well, you can find us everywhere at Clark and Aldine. That's C-L-A-R-K-A-N-D-A-L-D-I-N-E. We're at ClarkandAldine.com. Um, we do have a special announcement that, I mean, might as well say now you asked what's upcoming and exciting. We are... 
we had a podcast in the past, like pre pre pandemic and during pandemic, we've rebranded. We actually just got the uh, first round of creative yesterday and super exciting. We will be um, launching a new podcast. I'm going to say in Q2, we hope <laughs> to get it out in Q1, but it's just, again, it's a process and it takes time. So we'll, we'll be sure to, to holler at you about that. Um, but yeah, more to come on that. You'll be able to check it out on the socials when we announce it, but that, and we just have some amazing projects that are coming up. Uh, the, the full home remod that we, we talked about that we landed right before uh, Huntington Beach. Uh, it, it's insane. And we're really excited about it. The clients are great. All of our trades are really excited about it. Our team is amped about it. This is kind of a, well, I'm just going to say it's kind of like our Picasso uh, and the one that's going to put us on the map. So other than that, life is good. Yeah. It's great. Warmer weather coming our way. Well, you both are amazing. Seriously, we'll have everything tagged in the handle so those can follow along. So, Michael, Danielle, can't thank you enough. And uh, for those listening, go give them a follow. They're great people, even better in person than you see online. So thanks, guys. Appreciate Thanks, it, Brad. Brad. If you give value from the show, please support us by giving a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And I also have a favor to ask. We've had some incredible guests that come on and share their wisdom, their knowledge about their business. So if you have friends or family members that could benefit from those episodes, please share it with them, as well as any other business owners that you're networking with that could give value from the podcast or certain episodes. Please share those as well. Again, subscribe, make sure you're following any questions that you have, topics. We've had uh, listeners reach out about certain guests that we should have on the show. Again, brad.l at aftconstruction.com. Email me for topics to address, guests that we should have on, and even if you think you'd be a great guest for the show. So again, thank you for all your support, and we'll see you next time.